Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today's our day to do breathing mindfulness meditation together. We're finishing out this series of the group learning program. We've been meeting here on Sundays and Wednesdays for the last seven months, studying the teachings in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Each Sunday, we cover a chapter in the book, and then on Wednesdays, we come together for either breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and we also teach Buddhist chanting as part of this program. We've got this Wednesday and one more Wednesday before we finish out this section or this iteration of the group learning program. And then starting on September 1st, we're going to be starting all over from the beginning. So this is an excellent time to join and just kind of join a couple of these last classes just to kind of get in the habit of meeting together. And then when we start on September 1st, we're going to be starting from the beginning and helping you learn all the teachings of the Buddha and helping build up your practice. And then once you go through this seven-month group learning program, you have the option to take it as many times as you like, or we have another program called the Pali Canon in English Study Group, where we study 12 other books that are based on the words of the Buddha. And that's on Saturday at the same time, nine o'clock Thai time. These two programs together with some personal guidance, you're able to build up your understanding of the Buddhist teachings and build up your life practice as well so that you're gradually learning and gradually practicing the Buddhist teachings in daily life. And as you do, this path that the Buddha laid out to us, this path to enlightenment helps to awaken the mind where the mind is no longer experiencing any discontentedness. All discontentedness starts to diminish And then when the mind eventually attains enlightenment, all discontentedness will be eliminated 100%. But that's gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress that you'll start seeing those results. So that's why these classes are just shared gradually over the course of several months and perhaps several years for a lot of people. You're going to need to learn. It's almost like another full-time job, but it's well worth it because as you train the mind with this wisdom and with these teachings, As the mind gets to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, it's a permanent mental state. Your mind will never go back to experiencing anger or frustration or irritation or annoyance or guilt or shame or fear, shyness or boredom or loneliness or any of these other discontent feelings again. So thank you all for joining for today's breathing mindfulness meditation session. The way that we do these is I do some guidance just to kind of help you get into breathing mindfulness meditation. And then afterwards, we'll open things up to any questions that you have 
related to meditation or anything else about the path to enlightenment. In the early parts of this program, I teach you from the beginning of how to do meditation, why you're doing it, and all these other aspects of this practice. But then in these classes, we just go right into meditation and actually do it. So if you haven't yet learned all the other teachings that I share related to breathing mindfulness meditation, when this program restarts, you'll be able to build up your practice and get a much deeper understanding of why we do what we do and how this is part of the path to enlightenment that the Buddha shared with us. But for right now, let's just join together as a community to encourage and support and motivate each other by doing meditation together. You're welcome to pull up a cushion or a chair. There's also lying or standing meditation. Just make your lower body comfortable and your hands and your arms should be in your lap if you're in the seated position. There shouldn't be any tension in the lower body or in the hands and the arms. They should just be completely relaxed. The upper body should be erect because when you engage the muscles and keep your body erect, not real rigid and not slouched, but just keep it alert and attentive, this keeps the mind alert and attentive during the meditation, which you need because the mind needs to do work during the meditation. And keeping your upper body erect will ensure that the mind stays active and attentive during your meditation. Once you've got the body in position, just close the eyes. Start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just take some nice natural breaths. Breathing in. In, out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay because this is your own individual practice. The guidance I'm providing is just to help you along. So you breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just slowly establishing a natural breath. You don't want it to be forced or controlled. You're just interested in a nice gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and then an exhale through the nose, experiencing the full exhale. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chanting just to ease us into meditation. And then I'm going to come back with some more guidance to help you deepen your meditation practice. If you know these chants, you're welcome to chant along. Ah. 
consistent breath, not forced or controlled, experiencing the full breath on the inhale and the exhale. Breathing in. Start bringing the awareness of the mind to the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. Fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in 
and out. The breath is the present moment. The mind can reside peaceful and calm in the present moment. So we're training the mind to come into the present moment by fixating it on the breath. The breath is the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. Whenever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut that off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. Don't try to label the thoughts. Don't try to figure out where they're coming from. Just cut them off, let them go, and bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. As the mind wanders, you would like to notice that sooner and sooner to build your mindfulness or awareness of mind. And then you'd like to make it easier and easier to cut it off and let it go, eliminating craving, desire, attachment, the mind clinging to thoughts. Just let them go and come back to the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm not even interested in your mind holding on to this voice. So I'm going to be quiet and let you do this work. Focusing the mind on the breath. And when you notice that the mind's not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
Our meditation practice should be about two or three times a day, building up to that, and about 30 minutes or more per session, again, building up to that. And as you do this two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more, you'll notice that the mind becomes more and more peaceful, more and more calm, because it's coming into the present moment. And you're building this awareness of mind so that in daily life, as the mind experiences any discontentedness, then you can cut that off and let it go more easily. But if you don't train in meditation like this, then in daily life, when the mind becomes frustrated or annoyed or angered or sad or bored or lonely or so excited and thrilled, you're not going to be able to be aware of it with mindfulness and you're not going to be able to cut it off and let it go. So it's going to plague the mind for longer and longer periods of time. But by training the mind in this way, 
shorter and shorter periods of time, you'll notice that the mind's discontent. And eventually you get to the point where you've cut off the discontentedness so much that the mind will no longer experience the arising of any discontentedness whatsoever. But there's this gradual diminishing of it as you're walking forward on the path more and more. We come together like this to encourage each other, support each other, motivate each other. It's all doing our own independent work and our own independent practice, learning, reflecting, practicing to include meditation. And even here today, even though we're together, we're all doing our own independent work. But by coming together as a group like this, there's some support there. You feel like, okay, there's other people meditating with me. And that can really help motivate your practice and move it forward so that then when you're alone, doing your meditation all by yourself, you feel that support and that encouragement that there's all these people all over the world doing the same things, meditating, working on their mind, working on their life practice. So let's go ahead and open things up to any questions that you guys have related to breathing mindfulness meditation or anything in this program whatsoever. We've got two more classes. This Sunday, we've got the frequently asked questions that we're going to be covering as part of our Sunday talk. And then next Wednesday, we've got our loving kindness meditation session. We're going to be doing that as a group. And then there's one more Sunday there where I put in the five hindrances to enlightenment. This isn't content that's in the book, the volume one. It's not in there anywhere. It's in some of the later volumes, but in terms of volume one, it's not in there. These are the five things that hinder people from attaining enlightenment. There's more than just five, but these are the five biggest hindrances that you'll experience on your path to enlightenment. So I'm going to be explaining what those are and how to remedy them. So in reality, there's, there's kind of three more classes after today. And then on September 1st, we'll be restarting from the beginning. So if you have any questions related to anything in this program or meditation or anything that you've been involved in with Buddhist teachings, in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put that into the comment section. In Zoom, you can raise your hand to ask any question or follow-up questions directly. So I'll just turn the class over to you guys and see what questions you guys have. Um, we spoke on Sunday about misunderstandings regarding the teachings, and I was wondering if there are many, any misunderstandings you've come across in regards to meditation with your students. Yeah, with meditation, some of the misunderstandings that I've seen is people feel like there's just one set position with the body that everybody needs to get into because the mind's craving permanence, and it thinks that everybody has to get in the exact same position, which isn't true because everybody's body's different because of impermanence. Some people can sit on the floor cross-legged, some people can't. And the goal isn't to train the body to be in any one particular position. The goal is to train the mind. So that's why the Buddha gave four different positions. So we shouldn't be forcing ourselves into any particular body position just because somebody else is using that body position. It might not be the right position for you. Along with that, some people feel that during meditation that if a pain arises in the body that you should just push through it and allow the pain to come into the mind and just push through it i don't agree with this because pain is a way to tell the mind something's wrong take action 
So if you feel pain in your knee or your hip or your back or something like this, that's the body's way of saying, hey, can you make some corrections here? Because otherwise, all you've got in meditation is you've got pain, 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 and you're not actually arising mindfulness. You're not training the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. You're not bringing the mind into the present moment. It's just pain, 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 pain. So understanding that your goal in meditation is to train the mind, not the body, is really, really important. And also some of the other misunderstandings are some people feel that meditation is to eliminate thoughts. Meditation isn't to eliminate thoughts. You can't eliminate thoughts as part of a life. As long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. What you're doing in meditation is, in this particular meditation, breathing mindfulness, is you're bringing the mind into the present moment, developing awareness of mind so that you can practice those four foundations of mindfulness. And then you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So when the mind longs or yearns or lurches or grasps for something, you're cutting it off and bringing it back. As you do that, you'll catch the mind sooner and sooner that it's off the breath. As you develop that mindfulness, you'll catch it sooner and sooner, so you'll have more and more mindfulness. And by cutting it off and letting it go, you'll get better and better at letting go of the thoughts so that in daily life, you can then utilize those. I've seen so many misunderstandings related to meditation that it becomes more of the body, training the body rather than the mind. Here, here's another one uh, that I just recalled is some people feel like you need to learn 10, 20, 30, 40 different meditations in order to attain enlightenment, where the two primary forms of meditation the Buddha taught is breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And as you guys know that are part of this program for a long time is they address two of the major problems in the mind. There's those three problems, craving, anger, and ignorance. The breathing mindfulness meditation addresses craving, the loving kindness meditation addresses the anger. And then, of course, developing the wisdom addresses the ignorance. But because the mind has craving and it's chasing the objects of its affection and it thinks that the next shiny object is what's going to satisfy the mind, the mind can actually have craving to add all these meditations that I want five, I want 10, I want 20. What's the next one? You know, I want to try this app or this guided meditation or this YouTube video or this or that or this. And the mind's just longing for more and more meditation styles. When in reality, the Buddha only taught two primaries and then there's two kind of secondary that not everybody will need, but they're there. So there's kind of like four real meditations that the Buddha taught as part of his path. But the mind having craving, desire, attachment it's oftentimes looking for the next shiny object. What's that next meditation that I need to learn? Some others that I put in the volume one book, not as a misunderstanding, but just as a clarification, is setting an alarm for meditation. Now, sometimes people have to do this in the morning because they're on their way to work and they only have a certain amount of time or at lunch, they only have a certain amount of time. But wherever you don't need an alarm, it's best to not use an alarm because then the mind isn't longing for is it time yet is it time yet is it time yet you're just getting rid of that whole thing and you're just focused on training the mind and you can soak into the meditation and then if you're getting a lot of benefit and the alarm goes off 
then you could have gotten longer. So by just getting rid of the alarm, you won't have that longing for it and you won't be disturbed if you're deep in meditation and it just happens to be the time that you preset. Another misunderstanding that I see is people think that their meditation is to influence or change other people rather than influencing your own mind. Just like some people will pray and think that their prayer is benefiting somebody else because people come from a background of praying in some cases into meditation, they think, oh, this meditation thing is just like prayer. So they end up taking meditation, like for example, loving kindness meditation, and they think that the goal is to change other people through your meditation. When in reality, it's all about your own practice. It's all about improving the condition of your own mind. Another one is that sometimes people think that when you meditate, you should just be able to meditate and go outside and everything's perfect. And this also comes from some traditions that people maybe learn that, okay, as long as you pray and as long as you believe, then you go outside and everything's perfect. But in reality, meditation is just one component of a larger life practice that you need to use your meditation to train the mind, but then you need to practice the entire eightfold path throughout your day in order to improve your life practice. These are some of the real common ones. Uh, some people think that all you need to do is meditate and that's all you need and you can attain enlightenment. Just meditate, meditate, meditate. They don't realize there's this whole path of things that you should be doing outside of meditation in order to train the mind. There's just so many like that. So in the book, that chapter about meditation is probably one of the longest chapters in the book. And based on the misunderstandings that I know, I didn't say like, this is a misunderstanding, this is a misunderstanding, this is a misunderstanding. I just taught the way that I understand meditation to be in the way that I understand Gautama Buddha taught it. And then what you've got in chapter 11 is just a real laying down of teachings of this is the way meditation should be done. And then in volume seven of the Words of the Buddha book series, this has a consolidated version of all the Buddha's teachings around meditation to show you that what I taught in chapter 11, it's all supported through his own words. And now I'm explaining not only in chapter 11 in volume one, but also in volume seven, all the teachings that the Buddha shared, the primary ones about meditation and why he taught it the way that he did. So these two together, you should be able to have a really well-developed meditation practice, but understand that meditation isn't the only thing, that you need other aspects of your life practice to fully train the mind. Thank you for those reminders, David. This certainly seems like a topic that we could probably talk about for hours. Yeah, the more that you understand the Buddhist teachings and the more you practice and see what's working, right? That's where you determine the truth is that when you learn something from your teacher, you don't believe it, you go out and practice it. And then when you practice it and see it's working, you know it's the truth. And then when people are trying to share with you like, oh, you need to do this, or you need to do that, or you need this, or you need that, or this is how you do it. If you have already learned the truth and you've practiced it, and you see that it's improved the condition of your mind, your mind becomes unshakable that when someone's like, oh, do this or do that or do this or do that, you know the truth and you're not swayed by all these other opinions because you've developed 
a practice to discover the truth. That's what a practitioner is really doing, and that's why we call it a practitioner, not a follower, right? That you're not following me, you're not following these teachings, you're practicing them to see if they work or not. And then what you do is you develop this ability to take in information from a book or from a talk like this or from a teacher. You take in that information. You say, all right, I'm not going to believe that. Let me go over here and see if it's true. And you kind of go into your little laboratory, which is in this case meditating. You meditate and you do it the way the teacher says for a few days, a few weeks. Did it work? Is it helping? And if it is, then you know that's the truth. And that's the real way to meditate because it's improving the condition of the mind. But if you learn something from a teacher and you go over here and you use it and it's not working, well, then you go back to the teacher and you say, hey, this isn't working for me. I would like to confirm that I'm understanding it. And then you confirm your understanding, get some clarification. Okay, go back over to the lab, work on it for a little while. And then, aha, oh, now it's working. Okay, now I got it. But if it's not working, then you know that's not the truth and you can disregard it. But don't do that until you take the time to confirm with the teacher that you fully understood what they're sharing. Thank you. Let's go to Donnie now. Uh, hi, Teacher David. Um, I would like to ask, during meditation, um, are we actually still aware of our surroundings, assuming if somebody comes in, uh, uh, calls our name, or somebody opens the door? That's not your goal. That's not what you're attempting to do. Instead, you're focused on the breath. But if you're focused on the breath and somebody opens the door, you might be aware of it. But then you can make a choice, you know, cut that off and come back to the breath. For example, like I meditate in my room a lot. And every once in a while, my son will come in while I'm meditating. I'm aware that he's opened the door. And he may even say a few words, not realizing that I'm meditating. But I just stay focused on meditation. And if it's something life-threatening or something urgent, you know, I'll know that by the way that he talks. And if it's not, he'll just make his way back out of the room. So you're not trying to be aware of somebody coming into the room and calling your name. But if it happens and you are aware of it, that's fine. But I would suggest just bring the mind back to the breath and keep staying focused on the meditation. Because one of the things that you're doing throughout your day and you train this in meditation is you're training the mind to be unaffected by forms that you see, by sounds that you hear, by odors that you smell, flavors that you taste, by physical objects that come in contact with the body, or mental objects that come to the mind. These are the six sense bases. What you're trying to do is you're trying to not allow any kind of inputs into these six sense bases to disturb or disrupt the mind. So this is why way back, I think it was this iteration of the program, at the beginning, like I was meditating and there's like a fly going around in the room and sometimes they'll land on your head and walk around or come to your nose and walk around. This is really good to assist you in meditation that that stimulation on your skin, you can train the mind, just focus on the breath and just be unaffected by that stimulation on the skin or the sound of the fly in the room. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Train the mind to be unaffected by it. And when you can do this in meditation and you can focus on the breath being unaffected by these inputs into the senses, then when you're in daily life, you will find that you can also be unaffected by things in daily life as well. 
if you use these different events in your meditation to be unaffected and train the mind to be unaffected. I see. So uh, when we are meditating, if we do uh, are aware of the things, our surroundings, uh, it doesn't mean that we are not uh, meditating correctly. It just means that we are aware and we choose to whether or not we allow them to uh, affect us during our meditation, right? Exactly. You got that 100% correct, Donnie. And thank you, Teacher David. Yep. We have a question on YouTube now from Tricia. When in meditation and the body feels thirsty or other things, should one push through or is it wise to stop, take a drink and continue to meditate? Is it wise to break meditation? You can do that either way. And this connects to Donnie's question too, is it's your choice of how you decide to do that. As you're developing your mind, if you can get to the point where you realize that taking a glass of water and sipping that now or sipping it 30, 45 minutes from now when you stop meditation, it's not gonna change anything in your life. Sure, the body's thirsty, but if you can cut off that thought and bring it back to the breath, that will actually help you. Because I remember the old days, as soon as I would start getting hungry, I would be grumpy, I would be irritable. Anybody that was around me, oh, I, I really you know, got hungry and it's because the mind wasn't comfortable with that impermanence of sometimes you're gonna be hungry, sometimes you're not. The body's going to experience this throughout life. And it was almost like an excuse to be grumpy. That's kind of how I was brought up. You know, when you're hungry, you're grumpy and that's acceptable and people just have to get used to it. But in reality, that's that unenlightened mind. That's that animal consciousness. You know, I'm hungry. Give me some food. That's what lions and tigers and bears and snakes and dogs and other animals do as humans. We can actually train the mind to overcome and transcend these things like hunger and thirst and people walking into a room or calling our name. It doesn't mean we have to. It doesn't mean we're required to. And I definitely don't suggest you do it for weeks, right, where you're like trying to avoid food or water. But during meditation, if a little bit of thirst arises, and you can train the mind to let go of that and stay focused on the breath, that's really helpful for the mind. It's really beneficial that you can then, if you're in a car and say one of your colleagues or your friends are driving and you're thirsty, you know, okay, I can wait 20, 30 minutes until we stop up the street. I don't need to put pressure on my friend to stop because I'm thirsty right now. You know, not giving in to everything that the body or the mind wants is good it can train the mind to transcend and overcome some of these things and you can decide you know when's the right time to do that and when's not because obviously if something life-threatening was going on you need to break your meditation and and go handle that but if it's not life-threatening i don't suggest somebody break their meditation i suggest staying in your meditation as long as it's not life-threatening or super, super urgent. You know, like I've had my son walk in before and he said, dad, I need you to take me to school. Mom's already gone and I don't have anyone to take me to school. And I had just started meditating, you know, three minutes into it. Okay, I broke my meditation and go take him to school. That wasn't life threatening, but it was still something that needed to get done right now. 
And then after I took him to school, I came back and did meditation. So you have to balance that for yourself, but don't feel the need to break meditation just because of some of the more simpler things that are going on and train the mind to be unaffected and completely still during situations like when you're thirsty or somebody walks into the room or things like this. I have a question, David. I did a long drive yesterday and it was on the freeway and there wasn't very much traffic. It wasn't very mentally demanding. And I thought this seems like a nice time to train the mind, but at the same time, it's not as though one can close the eyes and meditate in that situation properly. I was wondering if you have any advice on what we can do in that situation to train our mind and avoid being swept up in thought. Yeah, this is good, James. This is another misunderstanding, like just understanding what is meditation. This is like something that people have trouble with. Sometimes people think if they're walking the dog, that's meditation, or if they're driving, that's meditation, or if they're going for a jog or they're gardening, this is meditation. Meditation is a purposeful, dedicated, active training session of the mind where you're either eliminating certain unwholesome qualities or cultivating certain wholesome qualities. So when you're driving a car, you actually can't meditate because you're driving the car. You can't do an active, dedicated, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and arising certain wholesome qualities. But you can practice singleness of mind. So while you're driving and you're looking at the road and then a thought of something else comes into your mind, you can then cut that off and let it go and focus on the road, right? This is how accidents happen. And this is the gamma. This is the results of our decisions. When people haven't trained their mind and they're driving down the road, they're listening to some music, maybe they're on the phone or they're texting or they're thinking about certain things, they lose their concentration and therefore they have accidents. And some people end up dying in these accidents just because the mind isn't focused and having singleness of mind while they're driving. So one of the things that you can do is while you're driving, just stay focused on driving. If you're thinking about what's going on at home and what's going to happen when you get there and what you're going to eat when you get there and all these other things, you're not there yet. That's in the future. You don't even want the mind to be 15 minutes or 30 minutes down the road. You would like it to be right here in the present moment, focused on driving and only driving. And anything else that arises, just cut it off, let it go, and just focus on the driving. And this will refine the mind. So you're taking the work that you're doing in meditation and you're bringing it into your daily life in a task like driving. And then while you're driving, if you need to look in the rearview mirror, you look in the rearview mirror and right back to front and center. Or you look to your side mirror. You look at that and you go right back to center. You don't try to look forward and look at your mirror at the same time because you know that it's not possible for you to focus on two things at one time. So it's better to just be very straightforward of, okay, I'm looking at what's in front of me. I'm looking at my mirror, back to what's in front of me. Looking at the side mirror, back to what's in front of me. So this is how you train the mind to have singleness of mind. And getting to the point where the mind's comfortable, not listening to music while driving, even though at one time in my life, I kind of looked forward to driving because that's the time where I got to listen to music and that was an ideal time to do that. 
now I don't listen to any music at all while I'm driving. I just stay focused on the driving and 100% focused on the driving. And it took me time to kind of gradually work the music out of the drive, but I found that it creates more concentration and I can have more awareness while I'm driving when the music's not on. Because we tend to put on music when the mind is bored. The mind is bored or the mind is lonely. So we want to have this little bit of noise, this little bit of chatter, this talk show or this music playing in the background to kind of occupy the mind. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to train this mind that it doesn't need anything at all to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. There's going to be things in our life. We're going to have life partners. We're going to have children. We're going to have work. We're going to have a house. We're going to have different things like this, certain hobbies and activities that we're involved in. But when you're in meditation, doing breathing mindfulness meditation, and you're focused only on the breath, you're training the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy with nothing, nothing at all, just the breath. And now when you go into daily life, if you start filling up the mind with music and talk shows, you can do those things, but do them as individual things. You know, if you're sitting down and you would like to take in a talk show or a podcast or some music or whatever, do that. But when you're doing something already like driving and you turn on the music, this is just kind of occupying the mind. You would like to get to the point where the mind doesn't need that. And it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy just by doing one thing at a time. And see that as valuable. See that as important. See that as beneficial. See that as you actually being more productive and more beneficial to you by focusing on just one thing at a time. What we've been taught a lot of times is that the more things you can do, multitasking, this makes you a better person. This makes you more productive if you can do three, four, five, six things at a time. But that's why a lot of people have overactive minds because the mind can't do more than one thing at a time. It's literally impossible for the mind to do more than one thing at a time. So when we try to do three, four, five, six things at a time, what we're actually doing is we're training the mind to cycle from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing and six things, we're doing them so rapidly and so close together, the mind has this delusion or this ignorance that it's doing six things at a time, but in reality, it's just doing one thing and it's rapidly switching to the next thing so quick that it thinks it's doing two, three, four, five things at a time. So what it's doing by multitasking is training your mind to be overactive and constantly switch from thing to 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 thing. So when you're driving and you're listening to music, the mind's having to switch back and forth like this constantly rather than just do one thing at a time. And when you train it this way, then you really reap the benefits of having that concentration and that clarity of mind in all parts of your life. And you actually become more productive because you don't have to clean up all the mistakes. When you're trying to do multiple things at one time, you're tripping over your feet and you're making mistakes along the way because you don't have clarity and concentration in your decisions. And then you might be making 80% of your decisions good or wholesome, but then there's that 10 or 20% that you're kind of tripping over your feet. And now it takes more time to come back and clean that stuff up later. When if you would have just done one thing at a time, done it really well, 
and now it's over. Okay, I've done my drive, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. Wow, I really reaped the benefits of that drive. Now I'm off to the next thing. Oh, spending time with the wife. Oh, this is great. Talk to the wife, spend time, you're engaged with the wife. You're not thinking back to the drive or you're not thinking forward to the next thing you're gonna do. You're just engaged in that conversation with your wife and reaping the benefits of having that closeness and that good in-depth conversation that she feels like you're really listening to her and she's listening to you because you're listening to her and you build this closeness. And then when you're away, okay, now I'm focused on that. And then you get benefit out of each individual thing that you're doing, whether it's with your children or your partner or your work or your drive to work, each individual thing you just do with clarity and concentration. Thank you, David. That's a very nice explanation of how we can build mindfulness even outside of meditation. Exactly. And that's where you've got to bring this practice as part of your life practice. It's not just meditation. Just like a star athlete trains in the gym and trains their sport, they train and train and train and train and train. So then when they go to the competitions, they can perform. It's the same thing. Your meditation is just train, 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 train. So then in daily life, every day is it's not a competition but that's your event. That's the event you've been training for in meditation is that when you come front and center with that angry, hostile person, can you practice loving kindness? You've been cultivating it in meditation all these weeks, but can you practice it through your intention, speech, and actions in the heat of the moment? That's your event. Or you've been training this singleness of mind, this mindfulness and this cutting off of thoughts and bringing the mind back to the breath, So you train that in meditation, but then can you do that when you're taking that long drive? Can you maintain that level of clarity and concentration? That's your event. Perhaps that's another misunderstanding with meditation that it's not just this time where we feel pleasant and have this pleasant experience, but it is a training ground essentially. Yeah, so another misunderstanding is in meditation, people think that the mind should wander and you should wander around and you're supposed to have all these miraculous thoughts and kind of figuring out your life during meditation. But that's not what meditation is for. In meditation, you're training the mind, you're refining it, you're optimizing it. You're getting this clarity, you're building these qualities of mind that we talk about. Mindfulness, eliminating craving, desire, attachment, bringing it in the present moment. You figure out your life during life, during daily life. Another misunderstanding is people think that if you have a thought in meditation, you should label it and, oh, thinking, thinking, thinking. This isn't getting rid of the craving, desire, attachment. Some people think that if you have thoughts during meditation, that you've done something wrong, you should feel guilty or shameful that you've actually had a thought during meditation. That's not true either because you can't eliminate thoughts. You know, there's just constant misunderstandings as part of meditation. Some people think that if your mind is busy during meditation, you're no good at meditation, so therefore you shouldn't do it, right? But if your mind is busy during meditation, that's all the justification and the reasons why you should be doing meditation. So there's lots of things like this that when you start learning with a teacher and somebody who's practiced closely, 
you can get the clarity of, okay, what should I be doing? And then you can work on that. Don't believe it, but work on it. And then you can make real progress. When you're out there on your own with no teacher, no resources, you're not really sitting with people who have really done the work on their own mind, then you're just kind of like wandering around trying to figure out what should I do? How should I do it? What's the best way? Oh, should I believe this? Should I believe that? You know, what should I believe? It almost becomes this very mystical, magical thing rather than, you know, let's get the work done. And once we get the work done, then we can move off into the next thing in our day. Thank you, David. Let's go to Basim now for our Zoom questions. Thanks, James. We have a question from Eloz. She says, what's the best way to help one remove negative thoughts from our thinking? That's what this entire path to enlightenment is for. There's many different aspects of this path that once you decide to restart the program, I think you know, you're coming in kind of at the tail end of the program here, but once you restart and you hear the Buddhist path and I can build it up for you piece by piece and you see it as a whole comprehensive practice, that's what this whole path is for. So there's not just one thing that I can say, okay, do this, and then that's going to eliminate your negative thoughts or unwholesome thoughts. Meditation that we're doing today is one component of it, but there's many other components that I will build up for you as part of you reading this book, as part of you being in this program. Each week, I will help you to see more and more clearly what's the problem of why the mind has these negative thoughts and what's the solution. And then when you start implementing the solution and you start seeing the results for yourself, then you'll know that it's the truth because you'll gradually implement what I'm sharing with you and you'll see the condition of the mind gradually improve. But to be able to answer that question, it would take me seven months to be able to answer that question. So if you're going to restart the program, you'll be able to get insight on how to build up your practice to eliminate negative thoughts. Holly says, I have been working on not multitasking, but finding that I do not have enough time to do everything that I usually do during my day. Over a few days, I fall behind with lots of things around the house, not getting done. How can I catch up if I continue to do this? Okay, so what this is, is when a mind has craving, desire, attachment, and you, you know, have all these schedules and these plans and you're used to you know do this do this do this do this and getting all this stuff done your mind has become accustomed to you know getting this whole list of things done and that's what it feels good that okay i got my list done and the mind is craving to do what it did before and it feels like this whole list getting accomplished is giving you pleasant feelings but when you were doing those things before and you were getting those things done, you weren't necessarily getting them all done in the best way. You were making mistakes along the way. You were having challenges. You're having difficulties. So you're not going to get the same amount, the same quantity of things done, but you're going to get better quality done. But as long as your mind is craving to do what it did in the past, and getting a certain quantity of tasks done, then you're going to feel like what you're doing now is not enough because you're used to getting these things done and now you're getting these things done. 
and you want to be here, but you're here. So it's still the same problem. The mind is craving what it used to do in the past. You have to shift your perspective and realize that it's not about getting this whole list of things done. It's about getting each task done with good quality. It's about the journey as opposed to the destination. Does that make sense, Holly? Your mind still wants to get 20 things done in a day, but that's not sustainable. That's the challenge. Okay, you got your hand up. You would like some clarification. Yes, that makes sense to me. I just feel like I'm just falling behind. I'm working really hard. I'm putting forth a lot of effort to just do one thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm just behind on everything. And it's, it creates a little bit of discontentedness for me to know that I'm not getting everything done. And there's no extra time for anything that I enjoy personally, which, you know, is a craving, I guess, for myself to have time for myself. Um, and everything feels equally as important. So it's difficult for me to find a, find time for everything when I'm just doing one thing at a time. You're only falling behind because your mind has this preconceived notion that the craving that you were sustaining before and doing 20 things in a day that that's the bar and if you're not at that bar then you're falling behind so you've set this delusion in the mind that this is the bar and anything less than that i've fallen behind rather than just throw all of that stuff out throw all of that stuff out because whatever the mind thinks is the bar and you've set that bar you're not going to be able to meet that permanently let's just say that you never found this path to enlightenment and let's just say that bar that you've set where your mind has been craving 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 trying to get all those things done as the body ages the body and the mind's going to slow down you're not going to be able to get all that stuff done and sustain that throughout your life anyway so this is where the mind feels it's deficient it feels like I'm not accomplishing all the things that I accomplished because I'm used to getting all these things done. But you've got to throw away those false parameters, those lines that you've drawn in the sand and said, okay, this is what it means to get things accomplished. And if I don't get that, then I fall in behind. Just throw that away and just wake up and do the things you need to do in your day doing one at a time and whatever you get done is what you get done but as long as you have this preconceived notion of what should be done then you're always going to feel like you're behind but that's not sustainable right okay i've i've been contemplating about getting rid of my to-do list but then i had a day where i didn't look at my to-do list and i was just doing what i saw needed to be done and focusing on that one task and i ended up forgetting a whole bunch of stuff that was really like necessary like i was supposed to take my kid to go get a haircut and we completely missed the appointment because i totally forgot (laughs) so my mind is not remembering things that are important but was that the end of the world when you missed the appointment no i felt bad about it because we were supposed to do that but no we got it done the next day so it was okay Yeah, there you go. You know, I remember when I lived in America and I have been looking about maybe possibly taking my family to Disney World for next summer or something like that. And I saw that people book dinner reservations at Disney World two to six months in advance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness, people 
people book that far in advance like they know what they want to eat and what time they want to eat and what restaurant they're going to eat at six months in advance i remember in america how things used to get scheduled out in advance and like for example we had massage shops at one time and customers used to schedule you know six months in advance their massages like everybody's scheduling everything so your mind's used to that a schedule 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 and if you miss an appointment we're made to feel bad. We even have no-show fees, right, for some doctors and massage places and stuff like this or, or reservations. If you don't show up, they'll charge you a fee for not showing up. Where you can continue on that rat race if you want, or you can choose to unplug from all that and be like, you know what, I'll schedule a few things because that's what I'm interested in. I need to get these things done, and that's just the way American culture is. But if you keep running around with a to-do list and scheduling everything, you're not going to permanently be able to meet all of those appointments anyway because of impermanence. It's not possible. So even though now your mind isn't used to memorizing or remembering certain things and, okay, we didn't do it today, so we do it tomorrow, that's okay. You just have to get comfortable with not conforming to this culture of massive scheduling and be made to feel bad if you don't show up for something. You know, it's actually good for your son to have an appointment to get a haircut today. And, oh, we didn't make that. Okay, well, let's do it tomorrow. And that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Yeah, I'm still working on it. It's difficult. I have a, a question related, but a little bit different on multitasking, because that's what I'm working on right now. Um, is it, would you consider multitasking if I was waiting and not doing anything, but just sitting and waiting and I decide to read, is that multitasking since I'm just sitting there waiting or should I just sit there and think about waiting? No, if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're reading a book, you're reading a book. That's okay. one thing. Okay. Even though I'm waiting, like I have to go pick up my kid from school now. The school started two weeks ago. So I'm sitting in car line waiting and it's usually about 30 minutes and I'm like, I don't want to just sit. I want to be productive, but it's the desire to be productive. So it's kind of a conflict for me to know if I should just not do anything and just be waiting for him to come out of the building. There's nothing wrong with reading if you're waiting somewhere for 30 minutes. Instead of wanting to read, oh, I have an interest to read. Because yeah. some days you might not have a book with you. Or you might not oh, have. You might I not always ha have a book with you. I guarantee you there's going to be some day where you don't have a book with you. <laughs> or my phone. I read on my phone. <laughs> Someday your phone's going to be dead and you're not going to have a book with you. I guarantee you. It's going to, it's <laughs> going to happen. So if you have the craving, desire, attachment to being productive and wanting to read, in that situation where your phone's dead and you don't have a book, you're going to be discontent. Mm -hmm. So you might be interested to train yourself once or twice or three or four times to just go there and wait and do nothing and be okay with that and train the mind to just look around and observe and see what's going on and just be okay with that. And then other days, pick up your phone or pick up the book. So introducing some impermanence to the mind is actually really helpful because if you think you might be craving to be productive and you've always got to have a book with you, then you should introduce some impermanence here. It's like, hey, this is something that I do all the time, which is read while I'm waiting for my son. Let me not read for a few times and see how the mind deals with that. 
And this is how you kind of test the mind and put it into situations that it otherwise might not be comfortable with. And you train it to be comfortable in that situation. Okay. That's challenging. I will try it. Yeah. Yeah, that's thank you. That's what you do is you challenge the mind. This is what I call wringing out the water out of the rag that you don't want to hold on to any kind of craving, desire, attachment because it's just going to cause you discontentedness. So wherever you see the mind keeps wanting to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you should introduce some impermanence into the situation. Thank you. You're welcome. We have a question from Uma now on Facebook. Can we talk to our mind during meditation, like identifying and planning our daily activities following the teachings of Buddha? This isn't what you would like to do in meditation. Meditation isn't for you to kind of figure out things. If you're going to do that, you just sit somewhere and close your eyes and figure out life or with your eyes open and figure out life. But that's not meditation. Meditation is a purposeful, active, dedicated training session where you're training the mind on various aspects of the full path. So with breathing mindfulness meditation, one of the steps on the AFL path is mindfulness or awareness of mind. So that's what we're training for as one aspect of breathing mindfulness meditation is we're arising awareness of mind and helping to establish those four foundations of mindfulness in the mind. We're also eliminating craving, desire, attachment, which is part of right view on the AFL path. That's what we're doing, those two primary things. And then we're also bringing the mind into the present moment with this particular meditation. We're not trying to figure out life. We're not trying to make decisions, all that kind of stuff. We're just trying to cultivate these certain factors of the Eightfold Path through breathing mindfulness meditation. Then when we bring in loving kindness meditation, which we'll do next week, that's where we're bringing in loving kindness, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. And we're working to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, resentment, and all the lesser versions of those things. And that is eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and arising certain wholesome qualities. That's that dedicated, active, purposeful training session. If we need to think about life and figure out our challenges and what potential decisions we might make, we do that outside of meditation. Thank you, David. Those are all the questions we have for today. Okay. So thank you all for joining today's class. There's plenty here for you guys to learn. And if there are certain questions you guys have that I can answer very easily like this, then I answer those. But like Aluz, she asked a, a question that takes a much longer time to be able to explain. There's many different facets of explaining the whole path. But the beauty is, is that you're in the right place. That if you, just like many people who have unenlightened minds, the mind experiences these negative thoughts. That's exactly what the path to enlightenment is. Four is eliminating those arising of unwelcomed thoughts and training the mind to let those go. But it's a very comprehensive path that one would need to gradually learn, gradually train their mind in those, gradually practice. And then as you ramp your practice up more and more, fully understanding the challenges of the unrelated mind and then implementing the solutions, you'll see the benefits and the results come about. And that's the beauty about Gautama Buddha's path 
is that there's no belief here whatsoever that you can see the truth as the condition of the mind is gradually improving. You can see the concentration and the clarity and the alertness and the focus come into the mind. And you know that you're making wiser and wiser decisions because as you make decisions, you experience better and better results. And there's this challenge of the minds used to doing things the way it used to do, like Holly was talking about. The minds used to doing things a certain way and it wants to keep doing things that way, but that hasn't been working. That's not sustainable. And now when you transition into doing things in the way that the Buddha taught as part of the path, the mind's not going to like it. The mind's going to struggle. The mind's not going to feel comfortable with it because for 40, 50, 30, 20 some odd years, you've been doing things a certain way. And then even before this, in previous lives, the mind's been doing things a certain way and it doesn't like this change that I used to get all these things done and now I just get these things done. But you have to train the mind and recognize that what was going on before isn't sustainable and what was going on before was leading to discontentedness. It was leading to the mind being discontent. So letting go of that and training the mind to be comfortable with getting five things done rather than 20 and just be content with those five and know that you've got them done with good, wholesome quality, that's where the mind can then be content. And sure, there's going to be things you forget along the way and you're not going to remember a certain appointment. That's normal. That's impermanence. Uh, you're not going to always remember every single appointment. So getting the mind comfortable with this impermanence that you can't meet every single appointment. You're not going to be able to. You might try. You might make an effort, but it's just not going to be possible. You try to get certain things done in your day, but it's just not going to be possible. And being content with training the mind in this way and letting go of the old habits of the past, as you do these things more and more, it becomes easier and easier. Bassam and I were talking before class about the English language. His knowledge of the English language is far exceeds the knowledge that I have. He's an English teacher and he was talking about past participles and simple past tenses and all of this stuff. I was like, you know, Boston, I was like, I don't even understand that stuff anymore. I was like, we learned it in school and we had to learn it as part of writing and speaking and everything. But then once you start speaking, you kind of forget all those rules and you just start speaking and it becomes effortless. And I was saying, you know, a non-native English speaker probably knows more about English than a native English speaker because you guys have to learn all those rules and really ingrain them. But eventually, once we grew up learning the English language and ingraining all those rules in the mind, then eventually we just start practicing. We just start speaking and it becomes so easy to communicate with people. Well, this path to enlightenment is the same way. As you're learning the first six months, the first year, the first two years, however long, your mind is going to be stuck. It's going to have to learn what is right view exactly. And how do I do that on a day-to-day -day basis every single moment? What is right intention exactly? Learn it to the level of detail of, like Bassam knows English, past participles, simple past tense, all this other stuff. You have to learn the path to enlightenment, the Eightfold Path, inside, outside, backwards, forwards, as you ramp up your practice. And then more and more, it just becomes like speaking English. 
you don't think about the simple past participles and the simple past tenses and all that stuff anymore. You just speak English. The same thing. Now, for the next few years, you have to really dive in, roll up your sleeves and really understand the path to enlightenment. And it's not going to feel comfortable at certain periods. But then as you get more and more used to it, it just becomes easy and so smooth that you just do it. You just do it just like you speak English. You just do it. And it's so simple and so easy. So be patient with the mind as you learn and as you grow. We're coming to the end of this program. Don't think that, oh, it's the end of the program. So I should know everything by now. Right. It's a seven month program. So I should already be an expert in the path to enlightenment. I should already be enlightened. I, I've been learning this path for seven months. Well, it took the Buddha six years to attain enlightenment. So it's going to take you a little while. So just because we're coming to the end of the program, don't feel like you should know everything perfectly. If you talk to James, he's done this program three times. Abbasam, I think, has done at least two. There's been some others that have done it. So each time you repeat this program, you learn more and more and it soaks into the mind more and more. And eventually over time, it just becomes so easy that it just becomes part of your life. It just becomes your life practice that you would never think about talking harshly to somebody because you've been speaking gentle for so many months and so many different relationships. And you see that it's working to develop deeper and deeper relationships more and more the mind would never even fathom going back to speaking harshly to people because you've now purged all that from the mind and you're no longer doing that. You're now practicing more of those five factors of well-spoken speech. But in seven months, putting all this together, you know, it took me, <laughs> it took me a year and a half, two years just to write the book. So it's going to take people more than seven months to understand the book and actually live this life practice. But as you do, you'll see more and more clarity and it'll just become easier and easier. And you won't think about simple past participles and simple past tenses anymore. You just speak. You just do. You just live your life and enjoy life because you now understand this better way of life that the Buddha taught, not as a religion, but as a better way of living life through this practice of the Eightfold Path that eliminates discontentedness of mind. So on Sunday, we're going to be doing the frequently asked questions that I mentioned. I think there's about 11 of them there. You're welcome to read those before class if you like. And then I'm going to explain them and give you guys a chance to ask questions on them on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together, our last session of loving kindness. And then we're going to be doing that five hindrances on that following Sunday. So at that point, we'll have wrapped up this program and then we'll be starting again, just continuing Wednesday and Sundays, sharing the teachings of the Buddha along this path and giving you guys a chance to ask questions. Remember, you can post in Facebook. You can ask questions in these online classes. You can send me a private message or you can schedule a personal guidance session where we talk in Zoom one on one and give you a chance to really ask some individual detailed questions, get you a chance to know me a little bit and for me to know you and then you can get some help along the way. So thank you all for your dedication to learning and practicing. Thank you for your questions. 
I really appreciate all that you're doing to build up your life practice because the more that you learn and practice these teachings, your life gets better. The people around you, their life is going to get better because you're not going to be putting out as much harm. And then all of humanity, slowly but surely, more and more people practicing these teachings will all be doing less and less harm in the world, producing more and more wholesomeness in the world. So thank you all for your efforts in doing that. I'll see you in a future class. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.